Hey guys, good morning. If this is your first time to Colossae, uh, my name's Steve. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, super glad you're with us this morning. Um, we are going to be continuing in our uh, Gospel of Luke series. It's entitled Release the Captives. And uh, before we jump into that, I do want to encourage you guys that um, when we have our times to meet and greet, um, always feel free to push it longer. Always feel free to get out of a row. Always feel free to say hi to a new person. One of the values of Colossae is expressing hospitality well and making sure that those who are welcomed in our house feel welcomed. So I just don't want you to feel like there's a time cap of Steve's got to get up and talk or Marcus has got to get up and play. But like the time spent getting to know one another is really, really, really purposeful. So I just want to give you freedom there in that. But uh, as we start today, I want you to think of a time in your life when you needed confirmation, when you needed someone to verify or confirm the news that you've heard uh, because it was either confusing or crazy. Like, you got an email from a job that you interviewed a month, few months back for, and you, you get a phone call, and you're like, hey, you, you have the job, and you thought you blew the interview. So you call them and say, are you sure you got the right guy? Or you, maybe you're a George Fox student, or maybe you remember your college days, and you're just a solid C+. Plus, you know, That's just kind of who you are as a student. And then you get an A, and you, you see it on your report card, whether it's online or back in the good old paper days. You get it in the envelope, and you go, wait a minute, that's not my grade. So then you call the prof just to make sure that this was the correct grade for you. Uh, Today's text is very much like that. Um, Last couple of weeks, we've seen how Zachariah, Elizabeth, and Mary have been uh, interrupted by the angel Gabriel to share knowledge about the end of time that they needed to hear. And last week, we saw Mary's response of faith and belief in God when the angel said, hey, you're a virgin, but you're going to have the Son of God. And for her, it doesn't mean that she doesn't have any anxiety or any confusion or any issues when it comes to hearing that word. Last week, it said that she was fearful and that she was perplexed to hear this news. So this week is the week that she needs confirmation. She needs to remember, okay, that this this really is from God. She needs to see that Elizabeth is blessed too because she was told, hey, Elizabeth, who was barren, is now six months pregnant. So she's on this road to getting some confirmation from Elizabeth And that's where we pick up on our text today. So we're going to be a fly on the wall for this conversation. Uh, Verse 39. Actually, let's do this before we go there. um, I forgot about the uh, little outline. So let's put the outline up on the screen. This is the way that we've chosen to break down the Gospel of Luke. Four different arenas. uh, The coming Messiah section, the Messianic ministry, the journey to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem itself. That big black bar is essentially the theme of the Gospel of Luke, right? Each writer has a different perspective and a different bent that they bring to the Gospel. Gospel of Luke brings this bent where uh, release and freedom actually means social and economic change. So we're, we're saying that in this series, the gospel not only affects your individual salvation, but it affects the community in which you live. And so we're still in uh, this first section, Coming Messiah. And to sum up that section, we're calling it the expectations for Messiah and the kingdom. And this whole section essentially anchors Jesus to the Old Testament. So... Since we've gone through that, we're going to be in verse uh, 39, chapter 1. It says this, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So after Mary's conversation with Gabriel, she quickly heads 70 miles back south into the suburbs of Jerusalem. Why? She needs to come see Elizabeth. Put yourself in, her, in Mary's shoes for a second, Okay. She's ecstatic to hear that Elizabeth is pregnant. She's been barren for her whole life, and now she got word that she was no 
longer barren, that she's with child. She can't wait to run and embrace her, to congratulate her. She can't wait to tell of the conversation that she had with the angel Gabriel herself. And, but what happens in the text is really setting Mary off guard. It really throws her for a loop. And this is what it says in verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So picture this. Elizabeth is inside her house, and all of a sudden, she hears the voice of Mary. Uh, Upon hearing those words, the baby literally leaps inside of her belly. Six-month-old baby, um, you moms who have had that six-month-old, you know what it's like to have a little punch in the rib or a kick in the gut, but this baby is going crazy. The word used that, that Luke uses is the one for skipping. So this baby is literally skipping for joy inside this mother's womb. Next, we see Elizabeth become filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, Luke's gospel is huge on the emphasis of the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So uh, what happens with Elizabeth? She exclaims extremely loudly, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So what she's doing is she's essentially recognizing the Lord's favor on Mary and pronouncing favor on not only her life, but also on her belly. She says, you're, you're, you're blessed among women. Mary, amongst all women, you have God's favor. And she's pronouncing favor over that womb, specifically over who's inside. And look at her awestruck words. She says this, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She can't believe what's going on before her eyes. The Lord that, that, that she's longed for, the Messiah that she's waiting for, is inside the belly of Mary, right in front of her. And she gives reasoning for these words, right? When I heard your voice, the baby leaped. John the Baptist knows it's the Messiah too. John the Baptist is knowing that this is the guy that he's preparing the road for. And he's rejoicing. But then you see Elizabeth also pronouncing favor a third time over Mary. It says this, Blessed, uh, blessed are you because you believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken. You see, Mary uh, believed Gabriel's announcement. Uh, last week, her response was the better response in comparison to Zechariah, right? Her response was, Lord, I'm your servant. Whatever you want, I'll do it. And, and see, this is, this is the twist that Mary didn't expect. Mary expected to come into the room and tell Elizabeth, of, uh, or just really to congratulate Elizabeth of what's going on in her world, but her not knowing that as soon as she came into the room, the Holy Spirit would fill Elizabeth that John the Baptist would leap inside of her and then now start pronouncing favor over Mary. This is a big deal. This is a socioeconomic change. When the younger would walk into an older's house, it was very common for the younger to greet the older. It's a society that valued the role of elders. So when you see the elder pronouncing blessing on the younger, there's this social gospel change that's coming. That's changing the society in which we live. So Mary didn't expect that Elizabeth was going to know that she was carrying the Son of God. So what we see here in this text is that the Holy Spirit is filling Mary for giving her wisdom and insight to a particular situation 
that she was previously unaware of. The Holy Spirit moved John the Baptist to leap at Mary's voice. The Holy Spirit filled Elizabeth to pronounce blessings on who Mary was. What we're seeing is the gift of prophecy happening, where the Holy Spirit gives wisdom and insight to someone who didn't previously have that wisdom to share truth, to bring encouragement, edification, and equipping, like 1 Corinthians says, like Paul writes to them. So this, if you're Mary, this is the confirmation that you needed. To, to think, okay, the angel Gabriel told me all this stuff about what's going on with the Savior, and then I need to walk into this room. I need, to, I need to know that Elizabeth is pregnant, but all of a sudden she knows that I'm pregnant. What a twist in the story. You see, Facebook updates didn't exist back then, so it wasn't like Elizabeth was waiting for Mary. All right, so she's going to show up, and she's going to tell me some good news. There's, there's no lag time. There's no announcement. It's literally the Holy Spirit giving wisdom and insight to a particular situation. This must have been when it, like, Mary's reality just sunk in all the more. I didn't say a word, and Elizabeth knows that I'm carrying the Son of God. She knows. You see, what we see here is that even though there are two women characters in this story, there's actually four. You have Elizabeth, and you have John the Baptist inside her belly, and then you have Mary and our Lord Jesus Christ inside of her belly. You see, this is why it's important. The Gospel of Luke's bent is a socioeconomic bent. It'll change a community. And so it's no wonder that Luke chooses two women and two unborn children to be the main characters and players of the story of God advancing. This is a big deal. You see, let's look at Mary's response. Verse 46 says this, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her three months and returned home. So it's at this point as you're reading the narrative that the narrative comes to a screeching halt. Lots of fast-paced movement is happening. You have Gabriel speaking to Zechariah. Then you have Gabriel announcing to Elizabeth all of the great things that he's doing. Then you have Gabriel speaking to Mary And then you have Mary rushing to see Elizabeth. And then all of a sudden the story stops. And we get this song. This song of praise. This is commonly commonly known as Mary's song. Uh, This is her praise response for what God has done for her. Scholars have essentially said that this section of scripture is so packed with Old Testament imagery. It's like she's just recalling what God has done all throughout the centuries for Israel. Many call it a tribute to the Old Testament. So this is what Mary says. She's amazed at what's taking place before her eyes. So in response, she starts praising God. She praises God for his greatness. There's, there's so much rejoicing inside of her heart. What's the reason? Is, is it because Elizabeth is pregnant? Is it because Elizabeth had this crazy prophecy about what's going on with Mary? She's rejoicing because the Savior looked upon her humble estate. You see, if God is God, he could do anything at any time for any reason to accomplish his plan. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to use a teenage girl 
to bring forth the Savior of the world. This is the very upside-down kingdom that, the, that this God brings. He brings this reality that he chooses those who would not have normally been chosen. So as a result, she's responding in praise. Look at what she says. She says, For behold, from now on generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Regardless of your background, this is true up until today. I mean, whether you're a Catholic, a Roman Catholic, a Protestant, or just know of Mary, there's this general regard for her, right? That she's the mother of God. And so um, she's essentially saying that all this time forward that's coming, people are going to say that I'm blessed because of what God has done for me. Again, this is unheard of in her time. Future generations don't consider a woman to be blessed because they don't consider women blessed. But yet she is going to be exalted among all women and say that she has blessing. And it's because of what God was doing. He is mighty. God has mightily worked in her life and she proclaims holy is his name. That our God is holy. He's set apart. He's unique. How true that is. Our God is like no other. What God chooses the least worthy to become the instrument that he uses. What God would choose the lowly over the powerful. What God would choose the disenfranchised over the privileged. What God would choose someone with no honor to be made honorable. Our God does. See, have you ever been picked for something that you just knew you had no shot at? Like when you're dating your wife and you're like, you have no shot. But yet she chooses you, right? Are you kidding me? That's a huge deal. Or you're playing on the basketball team and you just suck. But then all of a sudden you get, you get picked first. It's like that, that is the feeling that Mary has. God, you chose me? Like I, I'm so unworthy to be chosen and yet you chose me. You see, in continuing with this idea of the generations that are going to bless, she also says that God's mercy is upon those from generation to generation. And it's upon those who fear God. This is a very common phrase in the Old Testament. If you read Proverbs enough, Proverbs chapter 3 says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So really knowing who God is comes from this sense of fear and awe and wonder at who God is. So this mercy, God is showing mercy to, to display who he is. That's going to happen from generation to generation to generation. Why? Because of who's inside her womb. You see, Mary uses this poetic language to describe what God has done in history for her. He has shown strength with his arm. This is the, the, the same wording that Genesis uses, that when he, he creates the world, he uses the power of his strength. That when he drives Israel out of Exodus, or out of, out of Exodus rather, he, he uses the strength of his arm to do it. Because this is the result of what his strength does. God's strength scatters the proud in their thoughts and in their hearts. Like God is so powerful that he will even scatter the thoughts of the proud before the actions of the proud even come to plea. It's crazy that God is that uh, powerful and that strong against those who are against him. So you see, you see God scatters them. He disperses them. Uh, he doesn't allow them to gather for their purposes. He also sa- Mary also says that he's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate, right? This is what our God does throughout the centuries. Those who are considered mighty are removed from their thrones because of God's might. Countless times in the Old Testament, right? Where Israel's coming into a nation and they have victory over a nation. Why? Because God dethrones their kings. Those who are of humble estate are exalted. Israel was not a people until God showed up. Like God did not pick Egypt. God did not pick Turkey. God did not pick 
anybody in the Arabian Peninsula. He picked Israel. And he picked Israel for his purposes, those who are lowly and in this estate. And here's what's crazy. This isn't something that Mary isn't just personally experiencing. This is something that, is, that she is experiencing because of God's faithfulness in the past. It's as if what's happened in the past is now coming into the present for Mary's current reality. He chooses those who are humble and low estate. That's Mary. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away. Those who have hungered and longed for God have been hungry and needy. And those people, those are the people that God has come for. You see, this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that we'll see later on in Luke, or if you remember in our summer series, the follower series, where we talked about it there. Blessed are those who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. You see, this is not so good for the rich, for God sends those away unfulfilled and empty. But I want to reiterate something I said a few weeks ago when we started the Luke series. Whenever we see rich and poor, I don't want you to just be thinking purely economically. We need to be thinking that rich in that society meant status, wealth, honor, all of the things that comes with money. And for those who were poor, they didn't have status, they didn't have wealth, they didn't have anybody working for them. So when we see rich and poor, those are the things that we need to see. So you see in Mary's song, she sums it up, the rich aren't satisfied, they go away needy. In Mary's song, the proud are scattered, they can't assemble against God's plan. In Mary's song, the mighty are taking off their thrones because God alone sits on the throne. And here's where Mary's song specifically takes it from being very personal to very corporate with Israel. She's now relating her story to the story of Israel. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now something dramatic takes place. Mary links her story to the story of Israel. She doesn't just say, this is what God is doing for me personally right now. She's saying that this is what God is doing and has done for centuries. God is on the move. Israel uh, was not forgotten. Remember, this whole story starts with 400 years of silence, and then God busts into human humanity. He busts in to, to, to really take it over, to insert himself into human history, to bring about his will and his desires. So now, not only is, it, he, is he at work, he remembers the mercy that he has towards Israel. God hasn't forgotten what he's doing. And then Mary links it right back to Abraham. She's proclaiming the promise that God made to Abraham. The very first time that you really see the gospel is in the book of Genesis. And one of the first times you see it is in Genesis chapter 12, where God gives his Abrahamic covenant, his promise to Abraham. And he says this, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will in turn be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here's what's crazy. In a house outside Jerusalem, she responds in praise and adoration. She retells the story of Israel and God's faithfulness to his people and then links it to her own story as she is going to be the mother of God. What she says is going to be a foreshadowing, right? An insight given from the Holy Spirit about what Jesus' ministry is actually going to become. Jesus' ministry is going to be uh, to, to really scatter those who are proud against God. Jesus' ministry is going to lift the hungry and fulfill them. Jesus' ministry is going to dethrone those who are in power. Why? Because those who are in power actually oppress those who aren't. 
God sees that as evil, and through the ministry of Jesus, he's going to bring that to an end. And the last verse of this whole section, it takes us back out of that freeze-frame moment we were in with Mary's song and puts us right back into the storyline of Luke. It says Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months, and then she went home. So this is the text in Luke's gospel about Elizabeth's meeting and Mary's meeting. So as I've talked a lot when it comes to approaching this book of the Bible, the point of a narrative is to not look at a story and think of three or four or five different practical applications for your life. The point of the narrative is to display who God is, and then we respond in light of that. So um, there's two responses that I want us to practice today together. And the first is this. God acts for his people. And our response is to worship him. This is the point of this text, and it can't be overemphasized more. Throughout the book of Luke, starting in chapter 1, all the way through 23 chapters, God works on behalf of his people. God is acting for those who can't act for themselves. He acts for Elizabeth, an elderly woman who's barren. He acts for Mary, uh, a, a teenage girl betrothed to a man. He acts on Israel's behalf. Just read the Old Testament and see God's faithfulness to a faithless Israel. And he'll continue to act on our behalf, especially those who he encounters in the book of Luke. And then for us today, he acts on our behalf. What has he done? He's brought us into relationship with Jesus. He's brought us from a point of enmity with God to friendship with God. He has accomplished that for us, so much so that the Holy Spirit of God now dwells within us, that that is the normal for every believer. Back in this day, this was a new era of the, of the Holy Spirit, right? Back in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and rested on people for ministry. The Holy Spirit never indwelt them or filled them. But that's our daily reality because of the result of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So much so now that we can actually call God our Father. The creator of the universe, heaven and earth, knows your name. He's rescued us from the power of sin, and he will rescue us from the presence of Satan and demons. He will. That's his plan. He empowers us to live as disciples in this world who join him in his reconciling work to bring enemies back to him and make them friends again. So one of the applications for us this morning is that I'm going to stop talking here in about three minutes, and we're going to have some extended time of worship, some extended time to sing to God. Now, here's the deal. I know it's Portland, and we're cool, and we don't share our emotions, and whoop-de-doo. Okay, here's the deal. God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy to be sung to. He's worthy for us to clap our hands and respond with praise. When Elizabeth saw Mary, she didn't whisper something to her. She shouted for joy. When, when Mary responded, she exclaimed these things for God our Savior. So the first thing that I want us to see today is that God acts on behalf of his people and our response is to worship him. And then second, God speaks to his people and our response is to listen. In our text, we see the Holy Spirit speaking to John the Baptist through Elizabeth and through Mary. But not only did each of these characters in our text worship God, they worshiped God by listening to God. And throughout the book of Luke, this is what we're going to see, that the Holy Spirit speaks to individuals, he'll speak to Jesus, and he'll speak to others. You see, the Holy Spirit speaks to his people. We see this all throughout the New Testament. 
uh, whether it's the Apostle Paul writing a letter to a church, or whether it's a gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit's voice in Acts chapter 8, telling Philip to go talk to the Ethiopian eunuch about who Jesus is. It could be loud, it could be soft, but it's still the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to his people. Now here's what I know to be true. You and I are not great at purposely setting aside time in our crazy, chaotic culture to listen to God. We're not. It's hard enough for for many of us to sit down and have a conversation with our spouse or with our kids or with our roommates. So let alone set aside time to listen to God. But the Holy Spirit speaks. And the question is, do we listen? So during our time of song, I want you also to posture yourself in a place to listen to God. And here's some ways to practice this. Here's, here's some ways that the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you this morning. He's speaking to you specifically about sin in your life that he longs to get rid of. Here's the beautiful thing. We ignore pain in our culture. Uh, God is a God who brings pain so that through that suffering, we can actually be more like him. A.W. Tozer calls the dying to self like the ripping of flesh. That if it doesn't feel like the ripping of flesh, we're probably not dying to ourselves yet. And here's the beautiful ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and insight into our own world. He comes to bring conviction, but also comfort. So as we sing, if you feel the Spirit of God speaking to you about sin in your life, listen. Respond in repentance. Respond by by trusting that this is the God who has not only saved you, but will bring you to full maturity at the time of his return. So he also may speak to you about how to encourage somebody else in the body of Christ. You may hear the Lord saying to you while we sing, go, go and pray for that person. Or go and, and talk to that person. The Holy Spirit does this all throughout the New Testament. So it should be commonplace for us today as his people. That as he speaks, we listen and we respond. Um, he'll speak to you, giving you confirmation in areas of life where you need it. You having a hard time trusting in God's goodness? The Holy Spirit can speak to you and give you peace that God has actually answered your prayers. And that even though he may not be answering them right now, it doesn't mean he does not hear you. And it doesn't mean he does not love you. So this is how I want us to shape our time. I want us to sing and worship God for what he's done. And then I want us to listen to what the Holy Spirit's speaking to us today. So Marcus, come on up, and then Lacey, come on up, and we're going to sing. Um, but here's the deal. This is just a part of the practices of following Jesus. This may feel totally weird for you. I'm cool for that. Because the point of this is to, to start living a life as a disciple. And part of being a disciple means that you praise God, and it means that you listen to God. And the cool thing in the church is that God has not just set up the church to be a place where individuals hear from God and then they go off and do their own thing. The cool part in the church is that God has set up systems and structures for even pastors and elders to process through that stuff with you. So if you feel like the Lord's speaking to you about something specific for you or for our community or whatever, I would love it that afterwards if you come up and talk to Tony or I. Just grab us and let's just start processing together. We believe that the Holy Spirit speaks not only through the leaders, but also through his people. And so we're just going to spend some extended time singing and listening. And I'm going to pray for us. I want to invite you to stand, so feel free to stand up with us. 
Um, and all throughout the scriptures, too, people take postures of prayer. So if you'd like to, um, I want to invite you to lift your hands to Jesus. And let's just pray to him. This is a posture of us saying, God, we want to praise you, but also receive from you. So feel free to lift your hands this morning and let's pray.